Welcome to Botter's News Podcast. This podcast is all about staying ahead of the curve through the implementation of personalized one-on-one conversations with your audience. We focus on designing personas, the conversations they are having, and the technology that is enabling the dialogue. Here are your hosts, Hans and Jerome. Hi, guys. Thanks for uh, tuning in to the Botter's News Podcast. Uh, This week is an interview, so Jerome has excused himself. I'm very privileged and it's really great that Jamin Brazil is joining us. He is, uh, he is the, uh, uh, I admire him a lot because he's doing a great podcast about market research. So I'm really happy that he's here uh, to go over some great stuff about bots and market research. Jamin, thanks for joining us. Great that you're, that you're here. It is an honor to be on your podcast. Thanks for having me. No, no, really great, really great. I listened to uh, to a lot of the episodes when we were jumping in with the bots and market research. So uh, it was really cool uh, that you said yes to come over and uh, and join. Um, I, I really admire your podcast. And the first question I think that you always ask is really cool. And that's the one that, of course, our people don't know yet um, or they have as they listened already to your podcast. But we will definitely uh, send that over to them. But, but how... Did, uh, did your career or how was your career influenced by your parents? Because I really like that on mm. how you asked that and how everybody's answering. So, so how is that in your case uh, in this manner? My parent, I grew up uh, on a small farm and um, my parents were always working. So my, my dad had a full-time job which required a fair amount of interstate travel that is in the car in California. Uh, He was a crop advisor. So uh, farmers would hire him to assess their uh, crops and, you know, identify what sort of, whether it's application of chemicals or water or, and then, yeah. yeah. And so uh, that, that, that meant that he was functionally gone you know, for 10 hours a day. And then because we had a small 40 acre farm, uh, it was grapes to raisins. We, he would wind up working as soon as he got home. So if he got home at six o'clock, he would eat dinner and then he would be doing farm labor. Um, you know, things like fixing tractors or weeding or, uh, yeah, it's a heavy job. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's full time. It's full time. Yeah. yeah, yeah and, and there would be, you know, at least once a month where I, I would wake up at uh, six, seven o'clock in the morning and my dad would still be out working and then he would, you know, take a shower and then he could go back to work again. So, you know, my, my dad's influence on me was really, there was two things that I learned um, that, it, that I learned from him. One was I definitely didn't want to do farm labor. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's right. Yeah. Yeah. Super was... hard. Yeah. Heavy job. Yeah. Heavy job. heavy job. And then the second thing I learned from him was the value of actually work. So, um, he, my father grew up on, uh, literally, you know, dirt floors and very impoverished, um, you know, from the, from Arkansas, he was at, at the age of nine years old, responsible for bringing in income to help support his family. Um, they, so there was this like, I wouldn't say fear of being poor as much as this expectation that you would be able to contribute to the household in some way at an early age. And certainly my sister and I both 
had responsibilities on weekends and nights and sure. things like that yeah. to yeah. to contribute. So, you know, there's this like establishment of a work ethic, which I'm very appreciative of, and it still exists today in my life, although I don't work nearly as much as uh, he he did. He also, now he's in his mid-80s, and um, he still works uh, six plus hours a day doing, you know, labor that is uh, it's hard, I would say, uh-huh. you know, whether it's cutting wood or felling trees or, you know, it's laying cement, whatever it is, he's always got an active project and that's definitely keeping him super healthy, um, and, and active mentally and, and physically. So it's been nice to kind of see how it's going for him now. You know, my mom, on the other hand, she was a social worker. Okay. And, yeah. um, uh, she got her master's degrees, her master degree in her forties, uh, uh, had worked both for the state in, in for child protective services. And then also, um, later on had her own private practice. Um, I, I learned a lot from my mom in terms of the role of empathy and caring and, mm-hmm. and that, and that was, that's something that I've really treasured and it's carried me forward. So I think, I think, you know, as I, as I think about how it's informed, certainly work ethic for my dad and then uh, empathy for, for humans is, is, you know, a big part of, big part of me. And I, I do owe that to my mom. Right. Well, yeah, impressive, impressive. And especially that your dad is still uh, doing all the work, still on the farm or uh, is he, has he, has he quit that and sold it perhaps? Yeah, he, <laughs> he doesn't have the farm anymore. Ironically, I have a small organic uh, two and a half acre farm um, that that we live on, and so he's uh-huh. he's I'm putting oh. him to work. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, that's uh-huh. handy when you're yourself are very busy with your company, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And being self self employed and master of your own destiny, that's probably also something that you learned from him, right? Because yes, he did some startups uh, when I looked at uh, at your resume. Yeah, well, thanks for sharing uh, this. Honestly, it's really impressive. Yeah, looking at your resume. Yeah, yeah, very impressive on in the market research with starting up Decipher, right, and 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 going into Focus Vision. And could you share a little bit on on how you moved into and your experience into the technology before we move a little bit more onto the bots and your market research experience? I like I like framing this as laziness, and and what I mean by that, and what I mean by that is, yeah, well. Uh, when I started my career in the 90s in market research, um, you know, we were doing pen and paper. I was fortunate in that uh, in the uh, early 80s, my dad bought a, um, a personal computer for me. He didn't understand what to do with it because in those days there weren't a lot of applications, but he knew sure. that it was going to have a meaningful impact. And he actually spent a lot of money. I, I want to say it was around $1,500. Um, but, you know, in those days... At that time, it was huge, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huge, yeah. huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and it was we, also we a huge not, computer then. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And we were not wealthy people, so it was a, right. it was very, uh, very extravagant expense. But my, but he really believed that technology was going to impact um, jobs, and uh, he wanted to afford my sister and myself an opportunity to get that exposure. So, um, my comfortability with technology was like it's always existed. It's like part of part of who I am. Um, so in the, when I started my career in 96, we were doing, you know, lots of caddy, that is phone-based interviews, uh, coordinating with multiple mall facilities for in-person interviews. 
Okay, yeah, yeah, very, yeah, to get them over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, to get feedback from consumers. And it was very arduous and difficult. And so I said, why don't I do an online survey, which would allow me to easily get consumers' feedback in a consolidated way in mm-hmm. real time. And right. what, wound up ha- what wound up happening is I got a, I got a, my normal projects were about uh, $50,000 to $100,000, and they would take about three months to um, execute. Right. I did my very first online uh, project for a company called Segasoft, and it was an A-B test. Should they pay Tyra Banks a million dollars to be on the cover of a, one of their products, which was a, like a makeup sort of product? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And, or should they have like Model X do it and save the million dollars? Um, so I did an A-B test. I programmed a survey online you know, by hand, uh, A-B tested the um, – to A-B test the, the packaging. Mm-hmm. So I, I won the project on Monday. I programmed it on Tuesday. I fielded it on Wednesday. Cool. I analyzed the data on Thursday, and I gave the report to the board on Friday. And the project was $20,000. Um, mm-hmm. My total cost against... <laughs> no, my total pros, cost against the project was... Um, Less than two hundred dollars. I think it was around one hundred and thirty-ish dollars. Right, good so margin. <laughs> it's insane, right? It was insane. And by the way, that wasn't the only thing I did that week, right? I still have my normal kind of like workload on top of it. Sure. So, so I, I fell in love in '96 with um, uh, the process, the ease by which I was able to garner get people to give me feedback online versus in those days the the traditional ways. Right. Um, and right. so. Really, when I started Decipher as a survey platform, I, I did it because other market researchers were uh, trying to do, make their lives better, spend less time doing the operational consideration of research and more time doing the analytics. And so Decipher was really about addressing that need uh, and simplifying data collection so you, uh, researchers could spend more time on the actual insights. Right. Yeah. Good, good, yeah. And that was uh, quite some years, and you built a great company. And then it was taken over by uh, Focus yeah, Vision? Yeah, that's correct. We, we sold it to Focus Vision. Uh, Focus Vision is the leader in uh, video-based um, feedback, so like qualitative focus groups or one-on-one interviews. Um, you know, Focus Vision's been integrated into most of the, if not all of the focus group facilities globally. Uh, in fact, probably every market researcher that's done qualitative has used, has used Focus Vision. Uh, certainly, the pre, my predecessor there, uh, Eric Grogashay, who I have tremendous respect for, he really established that business as the dominant qualitative technology platform. What was interesting about the acquisition of Decipher is, um, you know, the companies were about the same size in total revenue uh, and also in terms of number of employees. And so the, the thesis was that um, uh, we'd be able to consolidate data collection, whether it's qualitative or quantitative, to a single product uh, or a single brand that is Focus Vision. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, there was a lot of challenges in, um, in that. One of the biggest challenges was that we quickly identified that the people that were buying qualitative research were not the same people that were buying quantitative research, meaning that oh, you had hey. two, yeah, you had two very different 
uh, uh, customers. Um, and But now what we're seeing, I think, is this convergence. You fast forward, whatever it's been. That was in 2016, I think. So, um, oh gosh, or 15 maybe, but, uh, Time flies. <laughs> uh, it does, it does. But, you know, you fast forward and now five years later, you are seeing this convergence of, um, companies that are doing qualitative at scale, which I think is really, really interesting. If you think about what a survey is, a survey is quite literally just a conversation at scale. So, um, the only companies that need to do surveys are companies that are too big to talk to all their customers. Right. If you and I owned a uh, local bistro or whatever, um, we wouldn't need to do a survey because we're probably on the greeting customers as they enter in. We're seeing sure. you know, the yeah. quality of food. Um, as soon as we opened up another location or two or three or et cetera, now all of a sudden we need to do a survey because we can't actually be in those physical locations talking to those customers. Um, right. and, and so the problem with surveys is that in a conversation – you know, when you and I started this interview, we did, you didn't ask me on an 11-point scale, how likely are you to recommend? You know what I'm saying? There, we don't, <laughs> we right. don't frame our conversations in a Likert scale. Correct. And, and because of that, you know, but we haven't historically been able to analyze data uh, that's unstructured in a way that's, that can be uh, uh, meaningful or, or quickly accessible to make a decision. And so we've been reduced to these Likert scales. Um, and, and, and now what we're seeing is technology, whether it's NLP or, or whatever, um, you know, sentiment analysis, we're able, we're able to take unstructured data and analyze it. And from that derive business decisions in real time. And, and so now you are seeing this convergence of qualitative and quantitative meeting under at this like centralized point where instead of me having, having to have this highly structured survey instrument, I can have a broad discussion guide um, and then have a, have a system, a bot or what have you, that is able to actually ask questions um, in, a, in a, a discovery-based questions um, so that, you know, and, that, and the bot can do that at scale, whereas a, a human quite literally can't, both on the asking the right questions and then also on the uh, analyzing and generating the outcomes. Right, right, right. Yeah, and that's, that's where you also, on that part with technology, you're also currently working on a platform, right? Could yeah, so my... Bit, uh, on that, on... on, on yeah, my, my, current, my current... Yeah, my current platform is uh, called Hub UX. Um, it's, it's not a... It's not a bot in the, uh, in the way of analyzing. It's simply solving a central problem of getting participants for research uh, into projects. Now, that sounds super easy. The, the challenge right now is that um, their companies are using, using between four to eight different tools to coordinate um, participants into an IDI or, or, or a focus group. So you think, think about like if you wanted to do 10 one-on-one interviews with right. a consumer, you know, you've got to recruit people, um, whether using social media or third-party panel uh, to, to, or, or an existing customer list. You've got to screen them, so you've got to make sure that they qualify for your project. Um, you've got to then vet them. So are they actually going to be a good participant? 
Right. You then yeah, sure. have to coordinate the booking of, you know, when they're available and the moderator is available. And then after it's over with, you need to pay an incentive to that person um, and make sure that that's, you know, that's uh, paid correctly. And so the, all, those, all those steps, while, you know, they take me just about 30 seconds to say, it's actually yeah, highly complicated. Yeah, 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 <laughs> it's yeah. really hard to execute. There's lots of details. Yeah. yeah and, it's, and, you know, and you go from like, I, you and I could do that with five people fairly easily, but as soon as it's 20 people, now it's really complex. And if it's 100 people, it's even more complex. So what Hub UX does is it automates all those pieces. So that, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. To yeah, get the so projects uh, smoother. Exactly yeah, right. Yeah, so it's all about facilitating the participant experience so that it's very positive and fun for both the participant and the moderator. So um, the the uh, our customers they enter in who they want to talk to. Um, the screener is automatically generated. It's dist- it can be distributed on whether it's a among uh, existing customers or on social media or with uh-huh. a third party panel. Um, partic- the customer then reviews the answers to um, some open ended questions like, um, what is your favorite place to go on vacation and why? From uh-huh. that, they're able to derive, okay, this person is providing a, you know, a good answer and this person's not. And then right. of those participants, they approve. They're sent a Calendly-like interface where they then find a convenient time for both them and the moderator. Calendar invites are distributed to both parties. If the event happens, then uh, the moderator says it's happened, uh, and then the incentive is distributed to the individual. Cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, and the intake of the, the participants then, right? Moving a little bit into, of course, surveys and, 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 and answering, and, and you have a lot of experience uh, with um, with Hub UX, but, but also, of course, as you interview a lot um, of market research professionals in, in your podcast. But how do you see that move? Because, yeah, it's, of course, an intake with a survey. I looked at it as well. Huh? I have to fill out, of course, a lot of demographic information. You go a little bit deeper, of course, for screening the right participant. How do yeah. you see that move a little bit, that, that, that intake into, huh, as we're really talking about bots here? Is there any kind of movement as you would really do it more in an interview way and with the bot? Or how, how, how is that uh, moving forward with that technology? Everybody's very spec- skeptical about bots and the customer service bot and they hate them and the web bots for commerce, right? But uh, yeah, how do you see that happening, that uh, bots are entering the market research space in your area or in general? I mean, positively and negatively. So, um, you know, th- there are bad actors in, in uh, market research. That is right. uh, Procter & Gamble. Tina Maurer released a, um, a report that said Procter & Gamble has had several massive um, write-offs. Uh-huh. And when they did their root cause analysis, they identified that over 30% of the participants in their surveys were bots. And um, on that side, yeah. yeah, So that's on that side. So that's the negative side of bots, right? right? Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. They send out the surveys. It was filled out. There were a lot of participants. You can pay the money to them because there there weren't people. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's exactly, exactly right. right. So that's like on the, that's like on the negative side. The automation bots. Yeah, yeah. Those are Yeah, but on, on the on the positive side um i'm seeing i'm seeing bots gosh i almost feel like it's the botification period right where you 
you're seeing a, whether it's a human enabled conversation mm-hmm. happen. I think about like Remesh as a platform where yep. it's a human moderated, a single human is moderating a discussion among up to 500 participants at once. Right. Um, and what happens there is the, the moderator will ask a question like, what is your favorite place to go on vacation? The 500 participants will simultaneously enter in some answer. And then in milliseconds, the system categorizes the answers across all those 500 people into a manageable subset. And then it serves up to each one of the participants, you know, of these 10 uh, uh, vacation destinations, which one is your favorite? Right. And then it serves that, it analyzes that information and then serves that back to the moderator. So within, you know, a handful of seconds, the moderator can see among the 500 people, which, what is their favorite place to go on vacation? And then the moderator can start asking more questions about, um, you know, why do you, many of you said the mountains uh, are one of your favorite places to go on vacation. Why is that? And then again, the uh, humans answer, answer the question, the bot analyzes, categorizes, and then serves that back up to the participants for, you know, more, um, uh, a clearer view on categorically why people like the mountains. And then it sends that information back to the moderator. So what's interesting about that is the moderator is, at, is able to start getting to the why in mm-hmm. a, um, in a, in a, semi-focus group environment, but because there's 500 participants, that's like, that's quantifiable data. So, right. right, so you actually have enough participants to make a business decision off of, as opposed to then later having to go do a survey in order to validate what the qualitative research is telling you. Right, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, so, so if I understand it correctly, it's, it's qualitative research for, for the people that don't know, of course, where you would do interviews where you have uh, quantitative, uh, you have the surveys you first would do uh, in previous times, uh, you would do with less people, the qualitative interviewing. Now you're saying this is really done at scale, right? Uh, not having exactly quantitative, right? That's uh, the, so, so the, so the, the bot technology or the AI natural language processing, because that's most of the language that our people, of course, in the podcast they use, is helping analyzing uh, the answers of the people, right? Uh, if I understand that correctly? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And so, and so qualitative is very much about um, discovery. So if, you, you know, if, if you're going into a, if you're getting ready to release a new product, um, you don't just like release it blindly. You need to understand what the pain is that that problem is solving. So if you and I were to, let's say, create a soap company, um, then, or actually a good example is the dollar a day shave club, right? Right. Uh, um, You know, there's already razors. It was just, it's hard in the U.S. anyway to purchase a razor in a a store um, because they are behind uh, glass. You actually have to have somebody come and help you get them. Right. And so what this razor company did was they said we're going to make it easy and just do you know it's subscription based and then we'll just distribute them every month right so what the what that what that company did a really good job of is in their discovery phase they identified what the actual pain was among the consumer but they didn't start there they started they started with a handful of people that had said yeah this sucks i don't really like it 
I don't like to have to go get somebody to help me buy a razor, right? When I'm inside of a store, it's disruptive to the process and takes too much time. Right. They took those handful of people and then they elaborate, then they created a survey, right? Where they launched that survey among probably 10,000-ish people, a lot of people in the US. And overwhelmingly, the response to the survey was, yes, this is valid. Your assumptions are validated. We would, in fact, really like to have this product, okay? So it's a two-pronged, traditionally, market research has, a, has two uh, aspects of it. It's got the qualitative discovery phase, then it has the quantitative sort of proving phase. Right. You would never want to start a business based on a, a pers- the perspective of a handful of potential consumers because there's just, it's just too narrow, it's too much risk uh, to make that sort of a bet. You're much, you know, you want to get like a, a representative sample size. And that's right. where quantitative, cool. quantitative right, right, right. fits. Yeah. yeah. Hey, moving into, uh, also we talked already and you shared uh, some great insights. Thanks for that uh, regarding the, the automatic analysis, right? With new technology. How do you see that also new technology uh, plays a role in, in the bot sense around qualitative or, or in general that where bots are used for potentially interviewing and all that sort of stuff. Is, is that now you see, of course, a lot of bots that, that mainly are a user huh, use case come in, they have a problem, they need something, they start with asking the question. But do you have any use cases or experience or where do you see things are going where the bot asks things because that's more rocket research, right? <laughs> and uh, that the participant is, is giving feedback. Could you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, I, I, I mean, so Alexa is a good example of a bot, right? Um, a voice bot. And it's, it's doing a good job of anticipating what, our, um, what some of our needs are. And obviously they're centered around uh amazon fulfillment so <laughs> they're they're helping us buy more stuff yeah yeah that's a good um, one right for buying yeah, yeah right exactly but it's but it is adding value um and it's doing it in a in a proactive in a proactive way i i think you know where, where bots get really interesting to me and um i'm very excited about a, about the f- realization of this vision by the way is is as a consumer is going through a customer journey, excuse me, <clears throat> as a consumer is going through their journey of buying something, okay, right? Um, that's a very, it's a very nonlinear path. Uh-huh. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And everybody's and, doing their own thing, right? We want to make the customer journey as, as, as similar as possible and do the best way. But you still have in the long tail, so to speak, it's not to him, but, but you have other people that go through other pots. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. And, and, and so it's a, it's a very complex process. And, and one of the big missing pieces is for a uh, brand to be able to interact with their customer in, in various stages or parts of that customer journey. Right. And, and what bots can do is they, they can function as interviewers, intercepting that particular uh, buyer, that, con- that consumer, as they're going through that journey of discovery, ultimately to purchase, ultimately to fulfillment and satisfaction. Mm-hmm. And as you dissect the customer 
that customer journey, you can, you can very quickly identify, okay, I can insert a survey here, okay, that is like a, tell me what you think, and all of us get multiple of those a week. Um, the, the problem with that is the survey is usually distributed either in a pop-up or it's distributed most commonly in a post-transaction. Right. Yeah. The, yeah. How, how was your experience? How was it? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. The, the problem with the, the problem there is, you know, you're, you're, re, you're relying on history and the recollection of history to inform the point of view. And I, and I think where bots, bots get really exciting is in the discovery phase or in the phase where the consumer is thinking about the purchase and being able to ask dynamic questions uh, in order to get to the why of the customer. You know, right now, NPS is a great example because it's the most common survey type done. It's an 11-point scale. How likely are you to recommend this to a friend or or family member? And then the second question is always why. Um, What's interesting about the bots is you can ask the question in, of why and get rid of the 11-point scale. The only reason we need the 11-point scale is because we can't understand the text open-end, okay? So the, the bot can actually understand that sentiment, understand the, and categorize the why, and then ask discovery questions in real time against that. And that, I think, is, is one of the most and then also be able to serve that information back to the decision maker in a timely manner so that they can adjust things accordingly. Right, right. So that they find what they need quicker, right? Because that's, of course, the goal for the, for the consumer that comes in. And of course, yeah, quick, it's quicker, yeah. quicker and better. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. right. And so there is a, um, uh, a platform, I'm not going to mention their name, but, but they do it. They do a, um, uh, similar sort of thing for restaurants, uh-huh. restaurant chains. And um, some things that, that came out of this study are this ongoing uh, bot-enabled research that they do. Because it's just so open-ended. It's actually, it happens through SMS. So as the, the person um, is, yeah. So that SMS-enabled survey, or it's not survey, but bot conversation chat, uh-huh. um, one of the things that they discovered was that there were was in, there was harassment happening inside of the um, restaurant, and it was identified by some consumers. Okay. So you know, yeah, and, and but they were able to addr- they were able to identify and address that before it hit HR, which is uh-huh. super powerful because now they can get in front of right the litigation and bad behavior and actually drive a positive culture internally. Another okay. thing that that they identified was. Uh, one of the locations was having really dirty re- um, restrooms. And all these things seem potentially trivial, but they actually have a long tail effect on revenue by location. And, you know, unless you can't, unless you have a system in place that can analyze that open-ended data um, and then serve it back in a, in a way that a human can understand it, then, you know, it's really not, it's really not helpful. And we're missing, we're really missing a big opportunity. Right, right. So, so what you're saying um, is that, of course, NPS is great and to ask a little bit more, but when you do that really at scale, then you get a number and it's rolled up and you get a great number on what your NPS score is. But nevertheless, uh, when you do it open-ended and ask uh, people 
or ask more in the customer journey or your experience, uh, uh, you will get uh, you, you will definitely get a lot of insights only because you don't want to do that all by hand and screen that by hand. Only if you, of course, analyze it with uh, with also the technology that is available to do um, to do the sentiment analysis. I, I, I we played a lot with also emotion analysis, uh, emotion and tones. And that these days is also pretty impressive on what the tone is of of of, of feedback. So not only the sentiment and 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 the magnitude of of an answer, but also the emotion from joyful to hateful to 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 really uh, serious um, uh, models that they have implemented within the technology. It's, it's it's really cool because when you build that on top, even on the sentiment, you can even see more on how a person is responding. Responding, right? That's. Uh, that's even uh, more conclusive and you can use that even better. Yeah. Yeah. There's, so where do, where do you think is, oh, go ahead. Sorry, please. Yeah. There's, there's piggybacking on what you're saying, which I think is the most important part of this conversation. <laughs> there's, there's really everything revolves around a relationship. So if I'm buying, going back to razors, uh, if I'm buying razors, I'm building a relationship with that brand and that brand's building a relationship with me. And if my razors are dull, then I'm going to stop buying the razors, right? Right. Uh, or if I feel like they're charging me too much, I'm going to stop buying the razors. It's very much like the relationships you have or I have with the people in my life right now. And there's, there's two parts for that to be a relationship to be successful. One is there needs to be empathy. And the other is it, it needs to be empathy in time, meaning if my wife's mad at me, I can't wait a week and ask her what she thinks, right? I could have done better. I need to, in real time, address that or at least be knowledgeable about that, about that pain that she at an individual level is experiencing. And, 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 and that's where bots become really powerful. Because if you think about the lag effect of sending a satisfaction survey after a post-transaction, right? Uh-huh. That, that customer's point of view is pretty much cemented already. It's established. They don't, the razors were dull. It was a bad experience. It's very unlikely you're going to be able to sway them away from that point of view, as opposed to being able to get close to the customer in real time, analyze that data, and then serve it up to a decision maker. I mean, that's how you solve that's how you solve big problems and that's how you build and that's how you build a really good relationship with the consumer yeah and you can have a dynamic conversation we also say a bottom limitation have a one-on-one conversation right you can have a that that dynamic conversation with within the customer journey what we talked about before but also after the delivery uh, uh, being able even with bots and you bring up a really really marvelous point is being able indeed really to dig a little bit deeper even asking more questions because a standard interview is a standard fixed uh, set of questions Mm -hmm. and you could do some routing and that sort of stuff, but to really uh, uh, change the interview questioning and the setting or the uh, the, the questions that you ask is very difficult to, to do that at scale with a lot of clients. But yeah, you can definitely go a little bit and dig a little bit deeper on asking the why that person is uh, finds them dull, right? Because is it is it the color, or is it just right. uh, yeah? Huh? It can be can be anything. And in the survey, it's done, and you have the score, and then we move away. So yeah, it's um, it's definitely a very good point, which I. Uh, we haven't talked about we didn't do any use cases in that area but to really um 
do at the end of the customer journey more a bot enabled interview around the experience right and mm -hmm. of course there is interview but when you use a linear bot it's still a survey i always say when mm -hmm. you use a non-linear bot and really yeah focus further on what they say yeah. i hate it i like it or whatever there's some great technology where you can steer the conversation to 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 dig deeper in there yeah that's cool, cool. yeah hey, yeah and yeah. that's the and that's the empathy part that you were talking about that's so important because we're we're we've moved past a strictly transactional relationship with brands we we care now about what brands political point of views are we care what their social points of view are we care about do they recycle like there's so much that we care about as a consumer that's outside of the strict transaction that's taking place. But all those things inform if we're going to buy from that brand or not, right? So the, the point is that like our surveying instruments, the way that we get feedback from customers have to be able to account for that. They have to be able to communicate in a way that's both empathetic and human, but then also they've got to be able to understand and analyze that data and get it back um, in a way that's processable right. yeah and we see also a lot of research still indicating over the years and it's getting more impressive that that, that of course consumers want to um, be, be talked to in a personalized sense yeah, based yeah. on their needs based on who they are um yeah the cool thing is when you capture emotion and you can you can capture any other tones which is also done you can even uh, change the way you talk yeah, uh, mm. I see some impressive stuff that feedback is given, and we play. We we've done that as well. Is that you analyze? Uh, this is more of an an, an analytical response, yeah. right? Or a more more general mm -hmm. response, and you can of course then also iterate further with with an answer on that. Hey, you can capture keywords and react to that, and then come up with more a, a a clarifying question, which is more analytical, right? We play with that a lot. When you see a package and you say, "Hey, green and blue, I I I, I like green. I don't like blue." For example, yeah, okay, yeah, that's 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 pretty narrow and pretty good and and, and solid answer you also see other people like hey this package is great right in general that's it yeah that's definitely different and you can also respond to that so personalization we see also a lot in the conversations that is critical related huh, to your empathy um what you definitely mentioned is definitely true it has of course different dimensions but uh, uh, uh because you can achieve empathy in a lot of ways but uh, personalized approach is definitely also one that we see a lot with the bots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, I will not uh, take you any longer, which I don't want to, but uh, do you have any tips, tricks, uh, things that would be great to start with when uh, when people, of course, our audience is doing a lot of bots and implementing a bot? I like the idea about getting a bot in place to, um, to help with the customer journey, yeah, to push it's not the right word, but push the consumer quickly to the right product. Any other uh, last tip? for our listeners in the bots that uh, that could help them and trigger them and uh, thinking a little bit broader in this area. Yeah. I think if you're not leveraging bots right now, then I think you absolutely should be talking to companies that have a solution. And even if you're not planning on spending money there in the short term, that is the next quarter, it's going to help in you in, be informed as to how bots can be beneficial to your business and what the actual integration can look like so or will look like so i think it's a it's a really it's it's if you are a brand and you don't have a uh, you don't have knowledge about 
voice assistants like Siri or Alexa or whatever, then you're going to be, it's, it's going to be a big problem over the next three to five years. Um, I believe that the same thing is true for bots relative to consumer uh, connection. So, you know, you definitely need to start coming up with a point of view and uh, subsequently, you know, implementation plan, even if the plan is we're not going to implement anything right now so that, so that you're educated about it. And that's where I think you need to be proactive and reach out to people like yourself uh, to talk about, you know, what are the benefits and what does an integration actually look like and where does that happen in the consumer journey? Right. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Great tip. Great tip. Yeah. Play carefully. We also say start slow and make small yeah. steps because, uh, but, but choose, uh, choose the steps wisely. Well, yeah, it was an honor, uh, uh, Jamin for, uh, for your, for, that you could uh, come on the podcast. Could you uh, share a little bit on where people could connect? Uh, of course, we'll also put that in the show notes for people, but uh, could you share a little bit on where to connect? And, uh, and uh, of course, uh, we will put the link of your podcast also in, the, in this episode, but where's the best uh, thing to, uh, yeah. to connect with you? I'm on social media, Twitter specifically at Jamin Brazil. It's my first and last name, all one word, J-A-M-I-N-B-R-A-Z-I-L, um, as well as LinkedIn active very active on both of those platforms it would feel free to dm me if you have questions love to answer them i respond to every single inbound that i get um so uh yeah and i do want to just echo that this is a huge honor for me being on your podcast and i'm very appreciative of the opportunity thank you no no it's great to, for having you jamie so uh almost weekend as we're launching this normally uh, before the weekend so uh stay safe and much appreciated and really cool and uh, thanks a lot have a great day you too